Hello, good morning. Anybody out there? <laughs> good morning, will you stand with us? Let's worship our King together. Shout it out. Shout it out, Kavanaugh. Shout it out. Amen. Fantastic. Y'all can be seated just for a moment. This is the day that the Lord hath made. 
we will rejoice and be glad in it. So put a smile on your face and rejoice. Oh boy. Got a hard crowd this morning. Just how about an amen on three? One, two, three. Fantastic. Why wouldn't we rejoice? It is a beautiful day outside. The sun has drifted up from Texas, and it's in Arkansas now. And we're honoring our graduates this morning. Man, get ready to clap for them. We're so glad that you're here, and if this is your first time at Kavanaugh Church, we extend to you a warm welcome. On the chair back in front of you, you'll find a Connect card if you would just fill that out, and after the service, take it through these doors to our Connect counter. We'll exchange that card for a coffee mug and a free gift certificate to Chick-fil-A. You get the good deal for sure, man. Let's stand up. We're going to pray and ask God's blessing on our service, and then we're going to keep worshiping the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for this beautiful day. I pray a blessing on all that we sing and say and do today. Dear Lord, I pray that you'd bless our graduates anoint them and fill them with your spirit and your power for the challenges they have before them. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are a graduate, make your way over to this side of the stage. For the rest of you, turn around and greet one another. We're glad you're here. You. you may be seated. Uh, we have Brother Nathan up here who is going to uh, give honor to our high school graduates. And then we got the duo of Brian and Kurt who are going to honor our college graduates. This year we have seven high school graduates and 11 college graduates. Isn't that great? I'm going to turn it over to Brother Nathan. They definitely deserve it. We're so proud of you guys. We as a church today just simply wanted to say we are so proud of you. We, we know that you guys have worked so hard, and we know that you put a lot of sacrifice and time into your studies, and we're so grateful that you've, you've, you were successful, you made it through, and we want to honor you this morning. So we love you guys. When you see your name, cross the stage, and you guys cheer as loud as you can, okay? Do it. Let's go.
Aren't you proud of our graduates? Give them another big round of applause, wow. Awesome, awesome, super, super accomplishment, that's great. Why don't y'all stand back up and we're gonna praise the one who has given us this beautiful day. Say amen again. Let's praise the Lord.
can turn to you and I pray that our this will be true and ring true for our graduates this morning that no matter where they go you are a God who provides and you will take care of us you take care of your own there's honey in the rock we just turn to you Lord we declare this morning that you are a God who does great things done them in the past and we trust that you're going to continue to do great things in our lives and through us Father for your kingdom pray that you would be glorified here today and that we would all praise you and um, just give you thanks and glory for the fact that we have a place to come and worship and have the freedom to call on your name and just say praise Jesus the one who saved me Lord we love you in this place in Jesus name I pray big hand. There's honey in the rock, and I need a little bit of that honey on my tongue right now. How about you? Uh, what a great song set. I love those songs, and what a sweet spirit in this room. I tell you what, I am ready to preach. The problem is I don't get to preach this morning. Right? I've relinquished that task over to Brother Nathan because this is senior day, and I believe that he needs to preach to the young people who are here. And as I look across this audience, all I see are young people. So Brother Nathan, come on up here, man, and uh, let us have what God has given to you. I know this is a word from God, and I know it's going to challenge all of you, no matter what your age is. Join me as I pray for Brother Nathan before he preaches. Heavenly Father, I love you so much. I thank you for the sweet spirit that is in this place. I pray for a holy anointing on Brother Nathan. I'm so thankful, dear Lord, that he loves his family, that he loves his ministry, and he loves these kids. Most of all, I'm thankful that he loves you and that he is true to preach the Word of God. So as he speaks it on the outside, may your Holy Spirit speak it into our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Yeah, Brother Nathan, All a big right. hand. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, Brother Will. Appreciate that. Man, it's such an honor to be able to come up here today and be able to preach to you. I've been so excited uh, since Brother Will has asked me last week, and uh, I, again, I'm so thankful and grateful for the opportunity. Let's give it up for our graduates one more time. Yep. All right. And not only do we, yes, we keep clapping for you, but I hope we just keep, you are just acknowledged and celebrated for a while because you really did earn it. You really did work hard, and we're so proud of you. And, and again, I repeat what I said earlier. Our church loves you, and we care about you, and we've to see you come on this journey and, and how far you've made it so far. Uh, again, we are just so blessed to have you here, and just know that we're always here for you. This is your church for life. There's something here that's special, and we want to always make sure that you know that. So continue to press on and move forward uh, boldly and diligently, but remember that you have people praying for you and cheering you on the entire time. Um, I, I remember high school and, and college like it was yesterday. Anyone else? All right. Okay, quick question. 
do you, do you specifically have something that you're known for in your high school class? Raise your hand if, you, if that's you. Like you are a homecoming queen, you're on the sports team, you're on, you know, something. Anybody? Okay, how about this? Your shenanigans. Anything. All right. Well, I got, I got voted as third best looking calves in my high school. I got the high school yearbook to prove it. Weird. Okay. And then the class clown. Does that surprise you? No, no. Uh, my, one of my favorite moments in high school, one of, one of my most celebrated is my, my, the prank that I pulled my senior year of high school. Um, well, there was a couple, but there's a couple that stand out. First, um, we orchestrated the idea that both senior classes from our high school and our sister school swap buildings because our our, our high schools had the identical layout. So we were Northfield, and the sister school was Southwood. We were north in the field. They were south in the woods. It doesn't get as country as that, okay? So we just met at Kroger, ate donuts and orange juice, and then we swapped buildings. And what's crazy was I was second chair trombone, first service. And one of my good friends at the time, his name was Graham. He was also second chair trombone during first uh, period. Did I say service? Okay, Sorry. Sorry, first period. And so we both had identical long hair. We were both cross-country stars, that kind of thing. So we swapped places, and his band director had no clue who I was, or he thought I was Graham at least, because he looked at me a couple times and asked me to play the part that was on the page. And I looked at him, I said, yes, sir. And he didn't even know, so successful. Until over the announcement, you know, over the announcements that the, the office were like, if you are a senior from Northfield High School, please leave our premises, okay? The second one that I, the thing that I was most famous for prank-wise there was there was something called Ag Day, agriculture. I like flip-flops and Starbucks. Like, that's the only farmers that I, I mean, I really like farmers, okay? Brother, well, I like farmers. But I like coffee bean farmers a lot, okay? Thank you. Thank you. But Ag was, they were just that was just the group of people I was annoyed with the most, okay? Like, it'd be ag day, and it's like, ooh, guess what we get to do? We get to drive our combines and our tractors to high school today. Oh, my goodness. Like, get out of my way, you know? Like, backcountry roads. I had a little Chevy Cavalier souped up. It was pretty nice. I flipped it. Anyways, um, I was like, maybe I could take my car underneath some of these things and make it, you know, get there faster. But, you know, farmers were just farmers, and, you know, they just a little annoying, and there's a couple people I didn't like there, so I thought with a couple other guys that let's, let's cause some ruckus. So not only on Ag Day did you drive your tractor to school, and no one thought it was attractive, um, but they also brought their farm animals too. So back in the Ag Room, uh, during lunchtime, they locked the place up because they didn't want any students back there, but we found a way in. We got a couple pigs, we tossed some oil on them because we were thinking, well, it would be hilarious if none of the teachers could grab the pig in the hallway that we were about to release it down, or they would get their clothes all messed up. So we did that. We released the, the pigs into the hallway with oil spilled over them, that kind of thing. Well, what took a while was, is that, um, well, it took a while. It took about 15, 20 minutes, and we're like, what's taking so long? What what a lot of people didn't realize is that I had taken black paint and put a number one on one of the pigs and a number three on the other pig, and the teachers and the faculty were looking for pig number two that never existed. <laughs> yes. 
Take that, farmers. No, I'm just kidding. Anyways, it was good. But, uh, you know, since then, I've really retired. I don't really prank anymore. Um, I'm more of a consultant. Um, I did prank a little bit in college. You know, I TP'd both Free Will Baptist campuses that I was on. But outside of that, you know, I, it's, it's mostly nowadays, it's like I, I observe other people prank, like Brother Jason or Miss Breck, that kind of thing. And I stay out of it because I ain't going to get in trouble. So, anyways, it was good. But again, I'm, I'm so thankful uh, for this opportunity to preach to you. We're going to dive right into the, uh, this passage of Scripture. It's going to be found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Um, and um, this is definitely a, a, a well-known story. History gives us a lot of rivalries and duels. Um, and, and they range across the mythos and in reality, all right? We have Alexander, Alexander, Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr, rivalry. Batman versus Superman, Jalen, rivalry. Tom and Jerry, rivalry. You know what I'm saying? The L.A. Lakers and the Boston Celtics, rivalries. You know, we see all these things, and we like to see those teams face off. One of my favorite ones growing up was Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. I love football. I love my Colts team. It was always great to see those guys go against each other. It was sad that Tom Brady always won, and that's why I don't like the Patriots. So, but we see these rivalries, and even in the Bible, we have several rivalries. We have Cain and Abel, that did not end very well, all right? You have Moses and Pharaoh, all right? That did end pretty well for Moses um, and so forth. And you have this, the, these sprinkled throughout the Scriptures, but the one that stands and is most acknowledged both in secular uh, circles and in religious circles, not just Christianity and other religious circles as well, is that of the story of David and Goliath. And it is a remarkable story. It's one of my favorites. Um, and, until this, and, and until today, I've never preached it on a Sunday morning through that story. I've always given it a devotion, youth group, that kind of thing. So I'm excited to be able to share that with you this morning. So follow, follow along with me up on the screen. Here's the passage scripture, and let's read this together. It says in, in 1 Samuel 17, 1 through 3, now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Soko and Azka, the Eshdemen region. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on, on one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side, and there was a valley in between them. Um, obviously, I can't take you there or really that, that kind of thing, so I Googled, searched the picture of this exact valley. This is, this is uh, legit. This is exactly where the battle took place. Um, obviously, some things have changed. There's a highway running through here, so a little, modern, uh, a little bit of a modern uh, twist on the landscape, but this is this valley of Elah, all right? It was right here. The Philistines would have been on this side, all right, and the Israelites would have been encamped on this side. And you have this massive valley right there in the middle. So the, the Philistines, what they, they were a confederation of five major cities along the coast at that time that consisted um, uh, of some of the prominent uh, towns in that area, Gath, Ashdod, Ashkelon, Gaza, and Ekron, all right? They were near the coast. They were coastal people. They were seafarers. They had that type of heritage about them. And so what they did was is they, they worked their way from the coast up the mountain range, and they planted themselves right in the middle of the kingdom at that point in time. And what their strategy was, we're just going to tear them from the inside out. We're just going to split them right in half and really cause a ruckus right there in the middle of it all. So 
this is, the, this is the setting. The Israelites are on one side, the Philistines are on the other, and there's this big valley in between them. And the, the, the problem was is that if either army were to attempt to cross through the valley, they would be faced probably with all kinds of artillery. At that time, javelins, arrows, great balls of fire, I guess. I don't know. That's just what came to mind, Johnny Cash, that kind of thing. So, I'm sure that there would have been a lot of stuff being hurled through the air, and they weren't going to risk it. So, what happens? Goliath of Gath comes forward, and this is what the Bible says about that. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of that coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. He had, a bronze ar- he had bronze armor on his legs, a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the spear's head weighed almost 600 shekels of iron. His shield-bearer went before him, and he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, saying, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, and the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they were in dismay, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Goliath steps forward and he's, he calls out something called single combat. It's a way to prevent mass bloodshed on both sides of, of, the, of, the, of the lines of battle. You bring your best guy forward and I'll bring myself. We'll duke it out right here and whoever wins gets to have the victory over this entire battle situation. But here's a problem. Goliath ain't no sissy. He's a giant. The Bible says that he is six cubits and a span tall. Now, a cubit, depending on which point of history that we, that we find this or that we allude to, uh, during the, the, Moses' time when you're measuring out the tabernacle and that's going through the desert and everything, a cubit probably ranged um, 17 and a half inches. That's from the, your elbow up to the tip of your middle finger. That's how they measured things, okay? And a span was from your thumb to your pinky. So Goliath was six of those plus a span, okay, which put him at a little over nine feet tall, okay? He's a big boy, all right? He's a big dude, and he was also a beefy boy. I mean, just imagine the most buff person in this room right now times two, Brother Will, Brother Jason, Bryce Watts, put them all together, make them nine feet tall, and that's probably the monstrosity that you would have out on this field. Oh, Eli, you too. Okay, so that's who you have, and he's out there, and he's decked out in all kinds of armor. The, 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 the chain mail alone of bronze is probably around 220 pounds, all right, and he's got bronze on his legs and these heavy weaponry. So when you put all that together, you're looking at about 300 pounds of extra stuff that he's carrying, and then he's got a shield bearer too. So this guy is well-equipped, he's super scary, and you would not have seen me out there, okay? Just period. And he's challenging, send, send your best, send who, who you have as your most mighty warrior, and we'll fight together, okay? So, not everyone on the Philistine army was a giant. This was just the secret weapon, 
There were other giants there, I truly believe, that day. We, are acknowledge, we, we acknowledge, uh, or the Scripture does acknowledge a couple other giants that would have been from the same lineage or of the same relation to Goliath for, for, in other books of the Bible. In First Chronicles 20, we see that Goliath had a brother named Lamy, who was just as big, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. There was another giant from that same uh, lineage called Sepiah, and there was another giant that we are not given a name of, but it's speculated that he was also a brother of Goliath. His name, or he wasn't given a name, but he had six fingers on each hand and six toes on each feet. Like, that's what it says in the Scriptures. So, there are other giants in, in, this, in this story that are there that we see further on. And the funny thing is, David just goes in and, and cleans house with these people too. In 1 Samuel 21, 16, we also see an assassination attempt on King David later on by a guy by the name of Ishbi Bebab. Ishbi Bebnab. Ishbi Bebnab. Say that five times fast. We think that was Goliath's son. All right, and he would have been fueled with all kind of rage and anger at David for what's about to be the end result of this story. So G- Goliath of Gath, super intimidating, super afraid, and he's standing there issuing the challenge: "Come at me, bring your best, and let's see who would win." Fear is what the Israelites felt, and you know what? You and I can relate. You and I can relate. Life has some pretty significant hurdles at times. There are big, massive things that take the place of that giant that stands in that valley that you've got to pass through. Fear and intimidation, you're freaking out, and there's so much doubt that comes into our lives when we see those types of things. And I don't have to sit here and make a list of everything. You all have your own personal struggles and problems and circumstances that you're going through or have gone through. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Life will bring problems. It's not a matter of if it will, it's a matter of when. So the question is, when they come, what's our approach going to be and how are we going to handle it? And that's kind of the angle I'm going at this morning with our graduates, but also with you. Because we do have problems that arise, and we do have things that we want to embark on. We have big decisions that we have to make, and some of those things are rather daunting, and it, and it, 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 helped, it makes us keel over. It makes us cower off to the side, and we don't even want to approach it, but that's not how we should react and be. We have a God on our side that is sovereign and in complete control, and you're going to see that as reflected in David's attitude as he comes forth. There's a lot of Israelites afraid in that moment of time, and there's a little kid by the name of David. He comes from Bethlehem, and his primary job uh, from his dad at that moment was to bring, uh, to export bread to the battle line, all right? Bethlehem, by the way, means house of bread. And isn't it cool that the, the bread of life comes from there as well? Get that? So David, who has just been appointed king anyway, so there's a little bit of a contention there also, is bringing bread from Bethlehem along with some of their finest cheeses. And um, he's bringing it to the battle lines, and his brothers are there, and they're like, oh, great, David's here. You know you know how they act, you know, siblings and all that kind of thing. And they're like, okay, David, go home but, and get out of here, that kind of thing. But David hears Goliath and his slandering towards the, the armies of Israel and how he's de- uh, degrading God out there. And David's like, who's, 
who's this guy? I mean, middle school kid David asking, who's this guy out here, and why is he saying all this stuff? And why isn't anyone doing anything about it? You know? And they're like, David, this does not concern you. Get out of here, that kind of thing. He's like, what's the reward if this guy gets taken out? Oh, and the reward, I'm sure, was great. Saul had a daughter that was apparently very beautiful, and the reward was is that he would give his daughter to the victor, whoever would take out this giant, and no longer have to pay taxes. Oh, graduates, you are in for it. Wouldn't you have liked this to be you in winning this? Taxes are horrible. But anyways, and there were other gifts, that kind of thing, but that was the reward, and David's like, okay, no biggie, let's do this. And he's, he's going around, and he's trying to kind of corral people, that kind of thing, and maybe even making the nod that, hey, I could do it, you know, that kind of thing. So the Bible continues on to say, when the words of David uh, spoke were heard, they repeated them before King Saul, and Saul sent for David. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of this guy. What are you all cowering away for? Why are you guys so nervous about this? Don't let your hearts be troubled in this situation. Don't you remember who is our founder? Don't you remember who is our father? Who is the king of Israel? It is the Lord of hosts. David is saying, what are you guys doing? He's really trying to encourage them and bring them up. But, and he's trying to encourage Saul here too. But what's Saul's response? You're not able to go out against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. You're just a teenager. You're just a young person. You have no experience. You can't go do this. And this guy would eat you for his lunch. Like, that's how good at what he is, at what he does, you know, all, all that. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father when there was a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock I went out after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he rose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised, dirty, rotten, filthy Gentile who defies us will be just like one of those, just like that lion, just like that bear, because he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. Wow. Wow. Where's our faith like that when life throws junk our way? While everyone was focused on what David was lacking, he was focused on the one who could provide all things. That's David's thought process. While everyone was focused on the problem, David had his eyes on the solution. Where everyone was doubting their continued existence as the children of Israel and the fear of being annihilated by this Philistine army, David had his faith in the covenants that God had made with the forefathers of the nation of Israel, his chosen people. There was no way God was going to allow his people to be wiped clean off the planet 
because that's not who God was, and that, were, that was the promise that God had made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and so many others. David knew God's faithfulness, and he was not going to let the current moment affect that faith in his Lord. So again, I ask, where is our faith like that? When troubles and trials come our way, when we're faced with uncertainty and we don't know what the heck we're going to do, where's our boldness? Where's our faith? Where are the Davids in the room? But Saul definitely wasn't a David because you know what Saul's response was? Well, go and may the Lord be with you, buddy. He's like, good. Finally, somebody has stepped up and done this. You know, in fact, awesome. Give him my armor. Totally take my armor, bro. It's the finest that we've got. And, and, and the Bible says Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword to his, over his armor. And he tried to go, in vain to go, for he had not tested them. So David's like, okay, this is new. I'm not used to this. So he puts it all on. He steps outside of the outfitter, and he starts to walk out of the tent. And he's like, I, I can't do this. This is, this is not me. I've never been trained this way before. Plus, this stuff doesn't even fit. So David tells Saul, I cannot go with these, for I've not tested them. This isn't my cup of tea. This isn't what I've, I've ever, how I've ever done things. So David put them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Hmm. Now, I have application for this part of the sermon, and I have been waiting a very long time to be able to give this type of illustration. So without further ado, I finally get to share a clip from Star Wars on a Sunday morning. And I could not, uh, th this clip could not better uh, frame the, the, the pathway I want to walk during this portion of Scripture. So why don't you buckle up? There are going to be flashing lights. So if that bothers you, close them for about 30 seconds, okay? And just take it in. It's going to be one of the best things you've seen today. All right? Are you ready? Play it.
Mm, I love it. You are so welcome. That was from Star Wars The Force Awakens. So you're probably like, what on earth was any of that? Let me tell you, Ray is Force-sensitive. She has the ability to be able to become a Jedi, a big warrior, all right? And she finds Luke's light, Luke Skywalker's lightsaber, and she touches it, and she sees everything that's about to play out in her life. She's, she sees the villains. She sees the settings. She sees the destruction. She sees all the problems that she is going to have to face and own up to. And then she takes her hands off the lightsaber. And Maz, which is that little creepy alien thing that you just saw talking to her, she's like, listen, it's going to be okay. There's a force that surrounds you. And if you just tap into that force as a source of your power to be able to take on life, you will be fine if you just have the faith in it. Take the saber. Go forward. You have people that are going to surround you. And Ray is like, no, I'm done. I don't want this. Plot twist. She eventually takes it, okay? But the point is, is that in that moment, in the here and now, she saw what life was going to bring to her and her way, and she freaked out, and she said, no, I'm not going to. And doesn't that, as parents, make you so frustrated when you're, when you're trying to talk to your kids about life, and you tell them about the things that could happen, and you're trying to prepare them and equip them for the things that are to come, and they're like, ugh, like they're just staring at you, like the same face they're making as they've been glued to their phones all day or playing those video games, like, huh, you know? Like you're just trying to get them to understand like there's more to living than just simply being alive. There's more to just uh, life than just, you know, casually making it and, and walking through blindly. There are things that we're going to have to prepare for. There's going to things that we're going to have to, uh, to be trained up on. You're, you're going to have to put in the work and the effort. And that scares us as parents sometimes because we know our kids' failures. We know what our kids are, go through. We know the type of people our kids are. And the reason why you know your kids so well like that is because the apple doesn't fall that far from the tree. You and your kid have a lot more in common than what you realize. And I'm not just talking about hobbies and interests and that, that kind of thing. I'm talking about our attitudes, our mannerisms, our personalities, and the weird little quirks that we have, all right? Maybe that's why it's been so hard to reach to them, because you yourself don't even have a full handle on it. I'm not being hard on parents, but I'm just saying that's why it's so important that you get your head in the game too, that you put that same faith and trust that you want your kid to have in the Lord for yourself as well, because you can't give what you don't have. You can't train up your kids in the way that you are, yourself are not being trained up in. We got to do better. And I, and, and I don't want parents to ever get discouraged because I know with our graduates, some of them are going to be embarking on this thing called life, and it is so scary, and we have concerns. It's okay. I get it. It's fine. But for those of us who have been blessed that our kids have surrendered their lives to the Lord, we have to do something that is so important, and that is this. We are going to have to trust in how the Lord has begun to equip them as they take those next steps. 
I get the helicopter parents. I do. And as parents, you are never, ever, ever, ever going to just let your baby uh, out of your sight and, and, and so forth. But your kids are going to have to step out. They won't always have you around. They are going to have to make decisions that you wish you would be there to micromanage. I know. I see some of your faces right now. You're like, I can't believe you're saying this in church. No, but I am. Because as parents, the hardest thing we can do is to hand them over to the Lord and say, Lord, I'm not always going to be around, but I do trust you. I do trust you. We're going to have to trust that God has begun and that our kids are still going to hold on to those things and, and, and depend on the Lord. We need to do that. I had someone at the end of first service ask me, I have a daughter that's 51 years old. When is it okay to cut the cord? <laughs> I said, never, never, never. But, he, but then he said, that's where all the faith and trust is turned in. Because our kids aren't going to do the same things or aren't going to handle the things the way we would ha handle them. And they're not going to always do what we would do. They would definitely going to go to places that we would probably not find ourselves in, but we need to trust in the Lord that He's going to take care of them. So what do we do in the meantime? We still put our best foot forward as parents. Parents, put your best foot forward. Train them, equip them, teach them, connect with them. Make sure that they are okay. Be consistent in their life and never ever stop. I often like to say this, that we might have more consistent kids if we ourselves as parents would be more consistent. And that's just a challenge. I'm not thinking of one particular person when I think that. I'm just saying even for me with my three kids, I need to be consistent so that they hopefully one day will be consistent. So how are your relationships with your kids? And if you, are, if you were blessed to have kids, how are you keeping up with them? How are you checking in on their faith and their walk with Jesus? We need to be doing that. That needs to be a primary thing that we do every single day. Remember when we used to gather around at the kitchen table for dinner? And we used to wait for everyone to get there to say prayer before anyone started to eat? And when those types of conversations used to be something that was cherished? Start it back up, man. Find time, be intentional, and make sure that your kids know every ounce of your love for them, compassion. Students, I share this every single time that I've spoken on a graduation service, and it's this. If there are two people in your life that will always be there for you and that you would want to have on your team, it is your mom and dad. If you are blessed with a mom and dad, you better be taking advantage of that because I know lots of people who don't have both mom or dad around or have lost them, and my heart breaks for those people. And what a gift you have to have mom and dad around. Listen to them, love them, cherish them, give them the respect that they deserve. I think that we would have, especially over the conversations I've had over the last couple weeks, I think that we would have less stressed out parents and guardians if and guardians if we had more attentive students. If you would show that your parents 
and that the words they're saying to you are not just going one going in one ear and right out the other. You know how much better life would be for them. Amen, mom and dad. So serious. Your parents were a gift by God for you. And I know not every parent is perfect. I know not every single parent is around, but the ones that you do have and the ones that are and the ones and the people that are in and over your life right now, listen to them. Learn from them. You aren't going to be able to wear their exact armor, but you better, better, better listen. Have an attentive ear and take what you do know from them through their lessons, their life experiences, and what the Lord has given you. Students, do that. Do it. This Philistine moved forward and came near to David. David makes his way out to the field. The shield bearer is in front of him, okay? And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he had disdained him, for he was a youth. Goliath's like, what is this little scrawny runt doing out here? Like, I'm insulted, okay? So he says, come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. He's like, Am I a dog that you bring sticks to this fight? You know what I'm saying? So Goliath is kind of ticked off. But David says to Goliath, you come with me, come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and I will cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth and all that the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with a sword or a spear, For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Dang, such faith. Goliath has always fascinated me. He has. I read the scripture, and I, I see his approach to David and some of his reactions back to him, and I have, I have some of my own conclusions about maybe where his health was and, 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 and maybe there, there might have been some visual impairment there, that kind of thing, because he was giant. And, uh, at, you know, there's, with, with the taller that you get, the, the more chances are that there are some uh, visual stuff that goes on with, those, with people, that kind of thing. And it's, I've read so many medical journals, that kind of thing. So it's, it's always been really fascinating to me. But also just his arrogant attitude and his overbearing roughness and his demeanor just seems so off to me. And, it, and it's just simply because it's a worldly, it's a worldly taunt. It's, it's a worldly philosophy that he's, cha- he, that he's living for and going after. In ancient warfare, there are three kinds of warriors. There's cavalry, heavy infantry, and there's artillery, the archers and the slingers, okay? Goliath is expecting hand-to-hand combat. He's wanting a warrior to come down and fight with him in the same exact means. Goliath and his expectations were simply that. I'm heavy infantry. You're heaven. You should be heavy infantry. Come at me. Come to me. Let's duke this out. And the same exact thing was with the people up in Israel. They, when David stepped foot and forward to go do this, what did they do? They tried to give him a sword and an armor. Their expectations was the exact same thing. 
And David knew that's just not how things were going to work out. Why is it that our circumstances and our problems that we face seem to have it so much more together than what we do? Have you ever stepped back and look at the problem that you're facing? It's like, why is this thing being executed so perfectly against me? Why is it that everything is working out in my problem's favor and all the expectations and what its, what its goals are are playing out so perfectly? Is that what intimidates us? Because we don't see the other side. We don't have a plan. We go into things blind sometimes. Is that why we cower in a way? Is it Sometimes maybe our own plans getting in the way and going, butting up against what reality is and maybe what God even wants. I don't know, but I do know that we're all human and that we have the tendency to think that way. Don't think that way. You have a God who is the Lord of hosts. Your problems have problems. Your problems have weaknesses. You serve a God who doesn't, who is in complete control. So when you know that you don't have a grip on something, you can hold the hand that does, that will promise to guide you all the way through and see you through. And no, may not everything turn out the exact way that we would want it, but you come out a better person and you come out stronger than what you were before. Believe in that. God is not going to leave you empty-handed you think you might need the tools and the responses of this world, but God simply just says, take what I've given you. Do how I've trained you and hold my hand. And that was Goliath's other big problem. He didn't see the real weapon. He's looking at the staff that's in David's hand, and he's saying, you've brought sticks. No, you blind giant. He brought one stick. And secondly, in his other hand, is a sling, a sling. He didn't see the real weapon. Now, David didn't just have a little piddly slingshot that you get at some, you know, like the Dollar Tree. You know what I'm saying? This thing was not something you get at a school carnival. You know, bing, it's not. This thing was, this thing was a deadly weapon. This was, a, again, one of the most accurate weapons um, ever recorded throughout scriptures and, and, and even in other uh, wars that I, I studied throughout this past week, you always see the, the tables turn when the, when the slingers come in. In some of these ancient battles, it's in, incredible. But this sling, again, was a, an amazing contraption. There was a, a long, two very, very long cords, and at the end of those two cords, there was a little pouch that you would put a little projectile in there, and it might be a piece of iron or a stone or something. You put it in there, and you would sling this thing around, and David had the skill for it. Again, he's already told uh, Saul and them that I took out a lion, I took out a bear, and he probably took many other things out with this thing. This is what he knew. This is how God trained him up. This was his firepower. All right? And let me tell you, this thing was absolutely devastating. At, at, at full speed, you're talking about this thing making seven or eight rotations every single second. Per second, seven to eight rotations. That's spinning really, really, really fast. And those five smooth stones, let me tell you about those five smooth stones. Those weren't regular stones. They're not. The stones in that valley are barium sulfite. 
They are twice the density of the, of the average rock. So this dude is totally in for it. And you know it. It's awesome. The stopping power of what's about to hit Goliath smack in the face is, the, is, is more than trying to stop the bullet coming out of a 45-meter handgun. This thing is going to do some serious damage. The accuracy of, of this slinger or of slingers were, and it was the, a kill rate up to 200 yards. You could, you could hit an inch-by-inch inch square target 200 yards away and, and, and kill it. We even see, I, I didn't say this in the first period, but we even see hieroglyphics and stuff from other ancient times where slingers are hitting birds out of the sky. Like, this is really an incredible, um, uh, incredible weapon. You know what? That's exactly what David did. When this Philistine rose and came near and drew near to meet David, David ran towards the battle line to meet this giant, this Philistine. David put his hand in his bag and took out his stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. He hit this dude so hard that he fell forward. Not only was he bowing to the, to the kind of the dramatic king of Israel at the moment in time, that little Bethlehem boy, but he was also bowing before the Lord of hosts. He put Goliath in his place. And then he would take a sword, run over with Goliath's own sword, drew it out of the sheath, and killed him by cutting off his head. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. So many people view David as the underdog, and I get it. We call an underdog somebody who's going to ha uh, that, that is going to overcome an improbable victory or may not have a good chance of coming over an improbable victory. But David certainly was more than just an underdog that day. He had the Lord on his team. And because he had the Lord on his team and because he trusted in, in how God had prepared him and built him up, he was able to overcome this giant. I believe and a Lord that guides us through life that will help us overcome our own personal giants, our own personal problems. What might seem massive and catastrophic to you might be is something so simple to the Lord. There's nothing that's going to ever outdo God. We say all the time here that we can't outgive God. Well, there ain't nothing in this in existence that's going to outdo God. God cannot create a rock bigger than he is. Or God cannot big, dig a hole deep enough to put himself into. God is the Lord. He is the reigning champion. He is supreme. And just because you have a problem that you may not know how to face or handle doesn't mean that he isn't going to see you through to victory. I truly believe that we are not underdogs today, but we really are on the right side and are on the right team. The confidence that David had in this story came from trusting in the Lord in his life up to that point in this story. He held what God taught him and how God trained him very, very close to his heart. The experiences that God had used to train him up prepared him to take on whatever that next big thing was. And David had no idea he was going to go face a giant. 
So that's why we need to trust in the equipping process. That's why we need to be in the Lord's Word every single day. That's why we need to listen on Sundays and take Bible study serious. That's why we need to listen to our parents and to the people that God has placed in our life, to their life experiences, because we are constantly being taught. The question is, are you listening? Are you listening? God is equipping you left and right. Take a step back. Analyze the problems. Analyze the life. Analyze the good and the bad and see how God has pulled through to you every single time. And I honestly believe that if you actually took the time to do that, you would see God's hand and and, and how you work in ways that you probably never even thought of before. So what's our approach to life and problems and those giants? Graduates, how are you going to handle the next big thing? Whoever else in this room, how are you going to start that next endeavor? How are you going to start that next phase of your life? I hope you boldly run to that battle line and say, you know what, good or bad, I'm boldly approaching this, wanting to honor the Lord with my life and with my heart and know that even if, the, even if it's not the right necessarily plan or, 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 you know, your plans or whatever, that we can trust that the Lord will lead us on that path, guide and direct our steps, and remove the giants. Nothing is impossible to God. So whatever you're facing today, whatever problem it might be, whether it be d- depression, uh, addiction, uh, problems of whatever kind, those things are not going to outdo God. The question is, Are you going to put your hand in his hand to let him lead you? I think of Psalm 23 all the time. I really do. And um, when it comes to this story, um, and I I think it might be a little bit of a reflection back to, uh, from David, all those times that God um, pulled through for him. Let me read it to you. I know we listen to this passage of scripture at funerals all the time. Listen to this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Then little David writes this. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you know he probably clinged to his sling just a little bit there too. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely in goodness and mercy shall flow, follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Students, graduates, anyone in this room, I love you. Thank you for letting me preach to you today. Let's become more like David in our boldness of faith. Let's look at those around us who God has given us as, as, as gifts, learn from them and, and from their experiences, and let's boldly charge into these giants knowing that we have an overcomer that will see us through to victory in the end. Love you guys. Brother Will, take it home, buddy. Thank you, bro. Amen. Amen, amen. I want you to stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, because no matter if you're 18 and you've just graduated high school, or if you're 62 and living real life, you have giants in front of you. Are you going to face them, or are you going to run from them? I would say bring them to the altar and give them to God, and be more than an overcomer. 
Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to do that today, to, to bring our giants, our problems, the issues we face into your presence and give them to you. Help us to have faith like David, that our God can do all things. I pray, dear Lord, that you would bless our graduates. May they come to the altar this morning. May their parents and grandparents come with them. And may they lay their life before you and say, Lord, use me. Whatever need we have, may we bring it to you today and do it in full faith. In Jesus' name, amen. The praise team is going to sing with your heads bowed and eyes closed. If God is speaking to you, would you come and pray to the Lord? Bring your giants to him. pray, would you come and pray? Come now. Lord, thank you for your word this morning and how it has affected our lives. I pray, dear Lord, that we would be like David, who has this unbelievable faith in a God who can do all things. And Lord, as we face real life and real problems, give us the strength and the power to be overcomers. I pray specifically today for our graduates. Would you anoint and bless their path Give them wisdom for the next step in their life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. And as you are, give Nathan another big round of applause. Appreciate that great message. Thank you for being here. If you're a Kavanaugh member, when you walk out the door, make sure you drop your offering in one of the black boxes. Come back Wednesday night. Pastor Jose is going to be preaching for us. And I'm so excited. He is our pastor in Puerto Rico, and he's going to have the entire service come and uh, be challenged by him. Uh, Monday and Tuesday, we have our Arkansas State meeting in Conway. Pray for those of us who will be going to it. On Friday night at 5.30, CCC graduation. I'm looking forward to that. 
seeing our little ones graduate. Saturday morning at 7.30, men's prayer breakfast. Get ready for Vacation Bible School. It's coming June 5th through 7th. And then on June the 3rd, uh, Brother Matt is going to host a yard sale in our gym for Puerto Rico. So if you've got stuff that you don't need anymore, bring it up here on Friday evening, June the 2nd. They're going to sell it on June the 3rd and give the money to Pastor Jose. I love you. Hope you have a great day. Stay out of trouble. Congratulate one of the graduates. We'll see you.